Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of St. John, the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. And if you'd like to follow along, it's printed on the back of your bulletin announcements as well. Or you can close your your eyes and listen as your hearts might. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. Here ends our reading. What is it that causes us to follow someone, to trust their lead, to seek their guidance, to want to spend time with them longer? Even a quick search on this question results in an abundance of theories. Theories about our survival instincts, our need to stick together, our need for efficiency in decision-making, our need to be shown the way to safety, whether physical, emotional, intellectual safety. Theories about a search for purpose, for direction, for acknowledgement. Freudian theories about transference and counter-transference our own primary relationships playing out later in life, sometimes consciously, more often not, with projections of an all-knowing father or a nurturing mother or a reliable sibling, 
And when the bosses, or teachers, or mentors, or presidents don't live up to what we longed for, the disorientation of disbelief and betrayal, rage and hurt follows. It's a topic studied by experts in business management, by those working to foster strong athletic teams, by anthropologists researching the religious cult. It shows up in our peer relationships, in our extended families, in the offices of our doctors and counselors, in our places of work and worship, in our local and national politics. Jesus' question to John's disciples who have been following Jesus all day comes ringing. What are you looking for? Do we know what it is? In a Gallup poll now some 15 years ago, 10,000 people across a broad swath of society were asked to reflect on what leader had the most positive influence in their daily life, and the three words, unprompted, that best describe that daily influence. So thinking about a, a leader who had the most positive daily influence on their lives, and three words to best describe that influence. After analyzing the responses, Four basic needs for the followers came to the fore. Trust, compassion, stability, and hope. People needed to know that they were cared about as a person, beyond what benefit they could produce for the leader. When they knew they were cared about, a sense of trust in that leader and their relationship to them was strengthened. People needed a sense of consistency, predictability in the leader's expectations and responses, someone who fostered an environment where, where they were able to act, think, and feel without fear. They needed someone who held a sense of vision and hope in the midst of uncertainty, someone who believed in them and the future often before they believed themselves. This is, in many ways, what Jesus provided. Though we, and likely those followers, have to live into understanding the leader we needed. It isn't until the end of the season after Epiphany which goes all the way until Lent, until after his baptism, after John encourages the peaceful transition of his disciples becoming followers of Jesus, and after the performing of signs at the wedding in Cana, that we hear in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount his understanding, his concern and guidance for the people. Scholar E.C. Vandriel observes that in the Beatitudes, Jesus is not asking the crowd to become poor in spirit or mourners or persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Instead, he offers consolation to those who find themselves poor and in mourning and persecuted. For the people find themselves returned from exile, but nonetheless still captive to the Roman Empire, oppressed by the soldier's boot and suffering from robbery and wrongdoing. It is only after a good measure of showing care for the people, holding them in high regard as children of God, that he begins to offer clarity of vision for his community mired in debate about the best way forward as a nation. Should they fight back and take up swords against their enemies? Should they sequester themselves away protecting their way of life and their identity until God brings a new day. Jesus' third way response was one of believing in them, in their better angels, in their ability to do the impossible and love their enemies, to pray for them, and in their ability to take hold of this moment now as the new day God has made, in their ability to realize the sovereignty of God they seek. We think housed in someone else is what we need. Perhaps an argument could be made, but sometimes it is. And sometimes, those people remind us the leader we seek is within. And so it is fitting that the identity of the one singing our servant song in Isaiah is unknown. That there are those who believe it is the collective voice of ancient Israel, and those who try to identify a particular character in Israel's history. Some say the living heir to Israel's late king suffering in Babylonian exile. It's not fully possible to pick apart whether it is the proclamation by one or by all that their time to lead has come. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention you peoples from far away, God called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, the Holy One named me. God made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of God's hand, God hid me. Yahweh made me a polished arrow in God's quiver. God hid me away. And now, God says, I will give you as a light to the nations, that my peace may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says God, the Redeemer of Israel and the Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slaves of rulers. Sovereigns shall see and stand up, and they shall prostrate themselves because of God, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. They had someone, God, who believed in them and the future, even before they believed themselves. Or maybe before they fully allowed themselves.
to believe. And even then, we tend to try to toss the belief in ourselves back. But the best leaders know this game too. And let us decide whether or not to pick it back up again. I've spoken about shamans of Mongolia before, and that when I got sick while studying there some years ago, my professor decided it was an opportune time to, to have a shaman heal me. I've recounted the ceremony, identified without realizing it, needs met by that shaman similar to the needs of those interviewed in the Gallup poll. But I don't think what I've talked about is that toward the end of the ceremony, I was returned to the rest of my colleagues sitting on the ground behind me. And as the drumming continued, even after an overwhelmingly positive and affirming experience, I began thinking to myself, was that it? Is my time of being healed over? And within moments, the shaman came back over to me and hit me on the head with a rabbit's foot. <laughs> I felt sufficiently acknowledged. It's all the care I needed. If there is truth to the theories of transference, shamanism may have an edge on a solution. A shaman is temporarily embodied by an ancestral spirit during, an during a dancing ceremony. And once the ceremony ends, the ancestral spirit leaves, and the shaman only retains a portion of memory from what transpired. And even that fragmented memory is temporary. The shaman and the people are just people. It's up to the elusive ancestral spirit to show up and offer the people what they are looking for, even if they don't fully know or understand what that is. Before we returned to our cars, a novice, I approached the shaman to extend my gratitude and awe. He responded, by giving my awe in him back to me. The leader you revere is within you. What becomes of it is up to you. He held out a belief in me and let me choose whether to take it. Isn't that the kindness, the trust, the stability, the hope that leaders give. In the face of transition and uncertainty, in the face of leaders who don't live up to our hopes, in the face of the search we know and the search we don't yet fully understand, may this be a community that inspires us to believe once more. Amen.